0: Welcome back to another episode of Phasing Out. Today's guest is one of California's most respected communications and crisis professionals. She served as then Attorney General Kamala Harris's Chief of Staff, Governor Jerry Brown's Chief Deputy Press Secretary, and Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's Chief Deputy for Cabinet and Communications. With decades of experience counseling Fortune 500 businesses and startups from London to LA, Elizabeth Ashford is here to share how she's conquered self-doubt and imposter syndrome throughout her career and the life lessons that she would tell her 30-something-year-old self if she could go back. Welcome, Elizabeth, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Diana. It's is- a pleasure to be here.
1: Is this what you're expecting? Have you listened to any other episodes? I have, yeah, and I, um, I've learned a lot <laughs> about a lot of other people and how they got through stuff. I think it's, I think it's great. This is one of the big questions is, how do you do things? You know? Yeah. How do
0: you do the things that you've done? You have a star-studded resume. Um, mm-hmm. More importantly, how did you spell Arnold Schwarzenegger's name? Because just writing that in the bio and the promotional materials for this episode, I was like, this is really
1: stressful. Yeah, I had a. I have a. I have a. I have a, a method that I've always used. Let's hear it. Okay. It's. I mean, it, it, there's not a method beyond like you have to break <laughs> up words into smaller words. So, S C H w-a-r-z-e-n-e-p-g-e-r like if i spell it like that if you asked me to just spell it like without doing that then but I because I had to spell it like thousands of times when I was working for him and you can't miss that's like the one word you can't misspell right you do you think you've ever misspelled it no because the stakes <laughs> were so high like if you misspell the governor's name while he's governor it's I think that's like a I think they can execute you for that in the state of <laughs> In no, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, I think it's actually a, it's actually kind of a coping mechanism where, you know, if you have complicated things, it's good to have strategies to come at them. And that was always my strategy was that particular breakup of his name. And I've actually heard from journalists who, you know, cover folks with complicated names that they have very similar things because you can't, you just can't misspell the name. Would you say that was the hardest part of that job? No, I would not <laughs> say that was not the hardest part of the job. The hardest part of that job was um, the volume that I had to write. I actually was just showing uh, a friend last night. um, My assistant in a subsequent job actually made a binder of all of the writing I did for Governor Schwarzenegger. And it's like it's this thing. I mean, it legitimately is, you know, like, like two uh, dissertations. And so the the real challenge of that job was learning how to write accurately and quickly for uh, public distribution of materials, which is a thing. <laughs> is that <laughs> why
0: you're so calm when I met you? We actually, you and I have an interesting story because I met you on a call with Playboy and
1: oh, we were
0: supposed to talk about sex toys and and mm-hmm. cannabis and you and i had nothing to add two of the most talkative people in the room we were silenced in that call
1: we were like we have nothing to add you <laughs> didn't have much that although i will say this in our defense we were speaking with like the experts <laughs> yeah. you know like are we gonna talk are we gonna like explain things to the experts i don't know probably not like, let's have the muslim girl and
0: the married woman just yes. chime in and talk to playboy <laughs>
1: I was so psyched, though, to be talking to Playboy because I considered them to be like I consider them to be like one of the great American most brands, yeah, brands and rebrands. And <laughs> and I think that, you know, they were doing something very popular and then it became unpopular. And, and now we're like, let's make it popular again. So um, I love that. But yeah, that was a weird one. That was definitely a weird one. There was a lot of discussion of, of cannabis and sex, which leads me to believe that a lot of people. Are having unsatisfactory sex and are looking for ways to improve it. So I'm here to try to help without having. Um,
0: that's not. Is that what you're on the podcast for? That's
1: my own podcast. Yeah, how to help? Uh, how to help without actually laying a hand on you? <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Yeah.
0: Would you say that's the
1: weirdest call you've been on in recent years? Oh, there've been a lot of weird ones. I mean, cannabis. You know, was cannabis was a really. I mean, you know this because you were there doing it too. Cannabis had a a a rich tapestry of characters involved with it. And, you know, a lot of people who'd come over from like, you know, careers in the illicit and, you know, illegal markets. I brought, I was on some interesting calls. Um, and, but I mean, listen, the, the nice thing was I got to meet you. Uh, and one of the lasting things I have from that period of time is that I, I definitely got to work with a lot of young people who came from very different life experiences than I did. A lot of people were street smart. A lot of people. A lot of street smart. I was jealous of. Very much so. A lot of street smart people, a lot of very politically activated people. That was something that hadn't been, I mean, I had worked in politics, but I hadn't been like on the advocacy side for stuff you know I've been on governance and so yeah I thought I was I met, like it was amazing it was a great time actually to be in that to be in that industry and and I got to meet you so maybe perhaps the greatest thing that happened. <laughs> well how because, did you even end up in the cannabis space after politics? I mean very much by choice because I had been doing corporate communications um at Activision Blizzard and then uh cannabis was made legal in California by the vote in to 2016 and so Uh, there was just a lot of prep that was going on in the industry, on the government side, you know, and everybody was trying to get ready for what a legal market would look like. And that for me was very much a sweet spot of, you know, an emerging market. um, Gosh, like a a very complicated commodity, um, a lot of public interest and media interest. It seemed like a really interesting and dynamic place to go. And I grew up in California. So people, you know, smoking you know, weed was not like it wasn't earth shattering to imagine this as a reality and especially so, in sacramento that's where you grew up right did i grew up in sacramento yeah yeah i i yes there do was i need still- to go
0: there i've skipped over yeah, the, yeah, in yeah, my can,
1: california tour i don't know if you, you can you can I, grew up, I was born and raised in sacramento <laughs> which at the time was a much more modest place than it is now it was very much like a um, I mean, it's where government and agriculture happened, right? So now we call it farm to fork, which I just want to say, I hope most of my food is for the most part, farm to fork. I don't know how much of like a middleman I well, want. Well, I hope
0: that there's like a kitchen involved in the middle.
1: Exactly. Some washing <laughs> of the thing, maybe some prep, but yeah. But so anyway, the farm to fork capital was agriculture and, and, and my dad worked as a lawyer in the legislature. So I was basically born and raised in the state capitol. So it came pretty naturally to go into politics. Um, But cannabis, I thought was a really interesting policy question, criminal justice question, just freedom question, you know, like, how do people live and survive? And then I think it takes care of a lot of things that people aren't um, able to get good support for in life, like anxiety, or, you know, apparently terrible sex lives or, you know. and he, there's a lot that people say it's helpful for so I'm like let's try to make people feel better in general that would be a good outcome
0: so now what are you up to I know you're working with Adam
1: Mendelssohn. he's worked with LeBron right yes I work I'm back it's like a full circle I started my <laughs> career working for Adam he was Arnold's uh, communications director when uh, the governor had, was in his you know, first term. And um, I went to work for him and we were together there doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, That's actually also where I met my husband was at that time. So that period of time was You collected
0: a husband uh, on the job.
1: I collected, I had an on-the-job husband. I did. I collected collected my husband and I collected my now boss again, which was great. So I got lots of, (laughs) there's lots of guy there are a lot of there's a lot of like guy outcome from Schwarzenegger, but I mean both <laughs> of them have been like hugely instrumental in my life and my sense of uh, self, and so I went back to work for Adam about ten months ago, and I've been married for ten years now. We just celebrated our tenth anniversary, so oh, lots-
0: congrats!
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's I mean, that's- awesome. I she thought you're that. not supposed to shit where you
0: eat, but you met your husband at work.
1: You know I I think people should meet at work. I and that's not a popular thing to say. Um but I think I think we're, you heard maybe, it here first. Heard it here first people, you might meet people with a similar educational background and set of interests at work. It's <laughs> sad that your generation of professionals is discouraged from it. And and I get why it's discouraged in like a <laughs> But I also kind of feel like well where are you supposed to meet people as an adult? You're just supposed to be like what where are you supposed to meet people?
0: Um I can't tell you. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I mean the I'm here. The
0: internet alone. seems like oh stuff. <laughs> are alone by choice.
1: This I would like true. to let's talk about choice. This is true. Let's talk about choice. <laughs> so uh yeah, I mean you're you're definitely somebody who's going through I think a, a, like the topic of this exact podcast right like self-doubt imposter syndrome I, well I don't know I, I was built to me you sold this to me as like adulting but sure we can call it whatever is most helpful <laughs> I was sold on adulting but I'm happy to talk about let's do adulting
0: life lessons let's do all of it well self-doubt <laughs> is a big component of being an adult because you're coming into your own and you're like can I really do this
1: can I do any of this so right. how have you overcome that that's a great question by living for the most part. I mean, I, I don't mean <laughs> to be glib, but, but you know, the, here's the, here the good news is this, like, if everything goes according to plan, you're going to have to wrestle with these questions for a really long time, right? Like the, what is the plan? There's no plan. Well, I mean, ideally you live, right? Like the goal right. is to live a long duration of time. So like these, like, you, like in a best case scenario, you're going to be navigating these questions for a really long period of time. So I think kind of just like understanding that. You know, and and I'm not exactly sure the framework that you want to come at it, but at the start of your career, you look at people further in their career and you're like, my God, how did they get there? But they got there just by having a career for the most part. I I mean, the first thing I did when
0: I saw your name on a calendar invite for the Playboy call, I was like, I need to look up this woman. And your resume was so intimidating. I was like, there's no way she's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you were nice and funny.
1: <laughs> but you're nice and funny too. So you brought that out in me. You know, I just, try- <laughs> yeah, I mean, my very intimidating resume. Maybe that's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that happened. Is that helpful? What, what would yeah, be helpful? Sure. What would be helpful? I don't know. Content uh, doesn't
0: have to be helpful. It could just be authentic. Oh, okay. Okay. So, well, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are turning 30 in my circle, and a lot of people are anxious about it. But Let's unpack like how do you how did you overcome that? I know that you were married previously before your current marriage. And so, like, how do how did you overcome all the stress and pressure of meeting these arbitrary deadlines? It's a great way
1: to put it because the the deadlines are really arbitrary. And if you consider like they're also, you're really lucky, I think, to be in a position in life that Um, you know, the deadline you're facing is, you know, whether or not you'll get married or whether or not you'll have the next big job versus like whether or not you will, you know, live to the end of the war that's being currently waged in your country or like the pandemic that is, you know, decimating your community. So I think also that perspective is super important. And one thing I've learned with age is that, you know, you do have to kind of you have to, you do have to compare yourself to other people, but those people should be like people who lived in Berlin in 1939. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like you should not be comparing yourself to people on Instagram because that is a fiction. You should be comparing yourself to people who are like going about their business very innocently and then got swept up in stuff. They had no say over and had to give it all up. And I think that like, these are great problems to have. And I don't mean that to dismiss the anxiety of them, but I think let's start with that. Like will i love that or not (laughs) right like exactly we're We're doing fine fine. we're doing just fine we're doing fine and i mean this because your own life experience i mean you immigrated here and you have watched all kinds of things happen in your home country or your birth country and your uh, now naturalized country i believe yeah this is home baby yeah (laughs) so i so there's that so that's important it's just like the framework is very important but for myself like listen i always say that it i mean it, i mean this is not rocket science but the the main thing and the thing that i don't see happening as much now with younger professionals i work with is this idea that like you, like oh gosh i've been presented with a real opportunity and i need to do everything possible to make this opportunity work i see more of a framework of uh, like Oh wow, is this the right opportunity or like would there have been a better opportunity or what will I get out of this and possibly like there's a lot of like overthinking. I don't know. Yeah, definitely overthinking and 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 the the problem with that is that it help it really hinders the ability to be excited or content with anything that's come up. So, I mean, look, for perspective, I didn't get my first big job until I was almost 30. I mean, I went into Schwarzenegger's office. Um, I think probably almost around 30, like right in, right in there. And, um, so again, nothing really, what had happened before that was nine 11. And when nine 11 happened, I decided I would go to graduate school and I ended up going from San Francisco where I was living and just kind of working a, you know, a, a good, but not a terribly exciting job. Um, and went to Columbia and did my master's degree and did it at a time when I was like, shoot, this is going to be the thing that's going to really define my generation, right? 9-11. And so I ended up in New York with all of these incredibly ambitious, gifted, just people who are very different than me. Um, I mean, I was those things to an extent, but not in that way. Like my parents, I hadn't gone to like the international school in Beirut. You know, like I, I was from Sacramento. This shade. Which- <laughs> No, that's not that self-shade. Like I had grown up in Sacramento and I'd gone to UCLA and like I'd done, Mm. but nothing. Local things. Local things. Mm -hmm. I was very local and local in Sacramento is very local. So I uh, ended up in this space. And so, you know, that probably was as important as like anything I did to get the job. But when I did get the job, um, and the way I got the job with with Arnold was that I um, raised my hand when I was in the the, uh, the job that I held just prior, which was with the courts in California. They were looking for someone to like manage a project about polling. And I had taken one class in graduate school that was about politics and polling. and so I said, okay, like I, I can manage this project And the pollster ended up plucking me out of that job and putting me in, Uh, the governor's office so it was just like literally like hand raising and then when I got to the governor's office I've never worked harder before or since on anything before or since oh I like that (laughs) nothing was because you know I was like shoot this is it this is the show this is where I'm gonna everything else will either start from here or not
0: so you were 30 when you had your first like job that you worked super
1: super hard at totally wow okay yeah, so I think that's also important to know that, like, not everybody is famous by 23. So the pressure's <laughs> off. And there was no internet famous at that time, by the way. So mm-hmm. there was no, like, platform to be like, hi, I'm Elizabeth. And, like, this is how I got this fucking awesome job. Nobody did that. People were <laughs> like, hey, you're here. Here's a pencil. Like, start writing. Wow, a pencil. I don't think I own a pencil. <laughs> exactly. No. Just so- pens. There pens. <laughs> we go. <laughs> there we go ink was invented so anyway so yeah so that, that that I think is another part of it and and I also I, I you know I got divorced um uh when I did you get a, married we skipped an episode it sounds I got married when I was about 28 ish and was very oh funny.
0: that's not I, even like
1: an early marriage that's like no, oh it was like, a, it was like a normal time marriage but <laughs> it was, to a very nice person who I would never like slag in public and honestly could not tell you where or how they are to this day but I'm sure they're g- doing great because a very nice person good person but um not my forever husband so that yeah. that also so it was so I had gotten a big job and I got divorced kind of simultaneously and that was really maybe because of the job maybe <laughs> yes. self-awareness because of the job. It was because of the job. It was because of me. I mean, who else would it have been about? Like, I wasn't like, yes, the job definitely because I worked harder at it than I'd worked at anything before. And that didn't line up with, I think, in fairness, what, you know, my then spouse's uh vision for his life was, was not having somebody who was constantly at the office and constantly... And, but it, what it exposed was more of a fundamental difference in how we saw ourselves and work and life. And so that's okay for that not to have led to a lifelong, um, relationship. Um, but it wasn't because of anything terrible. It's just when you're in your late twenties and early thirties, I think you really are becoming your true self, you know, and, and maybe that's compatible with what's happened previously, but I've heard the brain doesn't stop maturing until like 28. So oh. I mean, maybe that you know so you got div-
0: divorced at 30
1: right around then yeah. yeah
0: yeah that's tough that without internet resources to tell you that you're not the only one that's brutal
1: <laughs> it was brutal it was hard it was hard but it, but honestly because I had gone into the work that I knew I would be doing for the rest of my life like I really felt simpatico with the job and really invigorated and excited by it it mattered less than you would imagine mm the divorce mattered much less. And so, um, and, and I don't really even see it in a in in many ways as a super defining part of my life. It was something that happened. It was unfortunate, but I mean, looking in hindsight on all of that, it feels very, it was like a very natural and necessary thing that happened. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. It doesn't, it's <clears throat> something I didn't even know about you until like a year in <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. i don't i mean because i'm married now to somebody that i have a deep simpatico with it feels kind of weird to even talk about it because it was so long ago also yeah
0: and when did you have your first child and remarry and do all of that
1: yeah i remarried at 37 ish let's see 14 uh, uh yeah 30 no sorry yeah like 38 i got remarried so the reason it's weird is that I got married in January and I'm born in January and I can't remember which <laughs> January came first. But anyway, I got married again uh, in 2014. So no, 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 that's not true. 2013. So um, yeah, that was and that was, you know. So yes, whenever that is, if you can figure out my age against 2013. Wait, how old are you turning? Uh, my calendar
0: notified me that it's your birthday on Sunday. Turning 48. Wow. Yeah, I know. Sunscreen,
1: man. It works. Miracles. <laughs> Miracles. Just keep putting sunscreen on. Um. So yes. So there we go. So that all happened. All of those things happened. And then, um, and that, you know, yes, that was challenging. And I think also doing a big job at the same time and really wondering like, would I actually ever experience the things that I wanted to, which was having like a child and a very happy home life and those things. I really wondered if that was going to happen, um, because it hadn't worked out on the one side, but it had worked out on the other professional stuff was kicking it and just private stuff was not. And then, you know, I did meet and, and then, um, end up getting married, uh, at 38 ish, uh, to my husband who is, um, a wonderful, great person who I met at work. And I think maybe there that maybe that's the 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 lesson I'd like to say. I met somebody at work. And the good thing about that was that he's always understood the importance of work and my professional life to me because we literally met there. And he still works there, right? He still works for Arnold um at USC. Uh, the governor started an institute at USC after he came out of office, and Conyers uh, is the global director for that. So he's he's a great job, and yes, is still very much working with uh, the governor, and 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 loves that. I guess here's my advice on turning 30: Don't worry. Other things are going to happen. Lots of other things are going to happen. I do at times feel concerned that i mean listen there's a great line from the handmaid's tale there's freedom to and freedom from <laughs> right you wow have exactly of- what everyone wants to hear advice from a handmaid's tale all i'm saying is that we don't want to go there but one of the one of the lines that always strikes me from that book uh, was there's freedom to and there's freedom from and you they're like y- your group of people who are you know trying to find spouses and start private lives and do all of that. You have lots and lots of freedom too, because you have the entire, you have the smorgasbord of the world at your fingertips for meeting and marrying and mating. Right. But you have very little freedom from that. And so you're, you know, like it's, I think it, it seems like it's pretty tough to like make strong lasting connections through the kind of means of production, right. Which are, of course, the most important things. And that's online dating. So I, I, you have nothing but my like thoughts and prayers, but I think it just works out. Cause I don't, I mean, like I believe in evolution. So presumably we've evolved these things so that we can like continue to be a species. So you think hinge is a product of evolution? <laughs> I, I, I think everything related to mating and marriage and, um, reproduction is it has to be that's like if once you believe in evolution you have to include hinge in that
0: (laughs) what about what do you think in your career was a moment that you were like oh this is not how I'm going to respond to this situation like you were tested whether it's by specific individuals or your boundaries were crossed Mm -hmm. and how did you
1: just control your reaction to that No, that's such a great question. Um, Well, I mean, it's happened a lot. Obviously, that careers are made up of moments that are challenging. I mean, and as as they should be, you know. Um, I I've worked on unpopular things, and I think that's something I'm proud of because unpopular is in the eyes of the beholder, Um, and so doing things that that was really deep thank you. Um, So I've worked on both, like, for example, I spent nine months of my life working for BP in their executive offices in Houston with their CEOs, multiple, um, during the oil spill, which was, I mean, something that was so unpopular that to this day, my mother, she's from New Orleans, is still angry at me about it. Like, she, she can't talk to me about it without reminding me that, like, there's still environmental damage in the Gulf of Mexico. But I also gave nine months of my life to trying to support the process of stopping the well in my own like small way right and Mm -hmm. so um so that's like a that that's something and 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 i would say that what i had to deal with in order to do that work um was a lot of pushback from people that i love and respect and believe to be correct about things right um but i think that there's this idea that you cannot work on things that are still align uh, with your values that you cannot work on things that are not popular right it's popularity right. like we're in we're in this downward spiral of the constant popularity contest right now popularity contests are stupid and they're not but it's ten- because it's measurable i mean you can measure a person's
0: popularity by how many i guess followers their politician how many followers they have so i think that sure. we are in the popularity contest era because it's quantifiable
1: Absolutely, which is like in some ways just like so exciting and invigorating because you can also elevate people who don't appear to be, you know, popular or influential at first glance, but are truly influential. And I'm not suggesting that that's negative in all cases, but I think that rewarding work requires... depending on who you are, at least for me, it required doing things that felt controversial or hard or not popular. And so I think in some ways I'm lucky to have gotten to do some of that work before this was sort of the constant feedback loop, because I think if I was working for BP today and that got out, I would be confronted with so much of like, not just from friends and family, but from the world, like you suck. Right. Yeah. Um, But then later I've gone on to do things that I think would have within at least the loops that I'm in, have been very um, well received. I did a lot of work with transgender children um, and, their, and, and very controversial things that were happening to them from much more conservative communities. I worked on those stories uh, to help the, the trans community to the extent that I could or help the, this community get through it through a specific thing um, from a comms point of view. And I think that would have been very much applauded uh for me both of them are good things to work on and they're both super challenging and I love the challenge and so I think saying yes to the challenge and like showing up and doing it without apology is really important it's a really important skill but I I I've definitely seen some stats that
0: taking on like working at a company that aligns with your personal values does lead to overall just a little bit more happiness. And I think that that's, maybe that's more of a millennial thing, but I My do B- see why the BP spill job would not be something that a lot of people I know would ever go for just because that wouldn't align with their like aspirations, values, is to help a company, a big corporation. But do you think that if you'd grown up in this generation where you do have more options in terms of jobs
1: that you would still have gone on to work with BP? I think I would always try to go for the hardest thing. I think that for me was always the litmus test. Like what, what hard thing can I do? Not because I'm like the fixer of hard things, but because that's what gets me up and going in the morning. And, um, I think, are you an adrenaline junkie? I think so, yeah. I mean, not currently, like in the sense of parenting consistently and, you know, working within a, a startup firm and all the stuff that we do is is not, you can't really be like two like this. But for many, many years of my life, yeah, for sure, I went after the really tough stuff. And, you know, for every journalist out there doing a crazy story or trying to, there's a PR person or a comms person on the other side also working within that and for many years i think that was for me the highest good was the most visible story um and then that has changed in the last few years just because having a child is so overwhelmingly like life shifting that you grounding i mean yeah it is grounding i mean you you're you're legally responsible for keeping another human alive like that's that is parenting in a nutshell (laughs) (laughs) there are emotional components to that that are wonderful and incredibly fulfilling and like build up my cup and like made my life whole, all the things. Right. But bottom line, functionally day to day, there's another person besides myself that the law says I must keep alive. (laughs) So like, take that as you will, but that's all it's, 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 it's consuming. And so it is grounding because all the stuff that might inhibit that goes away like that.
0: That's really interesting that you say that because I think when I look at my parents' generation, so many of them found purpose by having us. Mm -hmm. So when we no longer needed them, not that we don't need them, but when we no longer relied on them for day to day things, they lost that sense of purpose. And I think that a lot of times, if we people, even my age, like we're not happy or like, okay, let's start a family, but then you're putting that purpose you're essentially putting a pause on your unhappiness and it's going to come back eventually because then you're like giving yourself a job basically to focus on. And then when that's gone, you still don't have a sense of purpose. So it's really interesting that you found your purpose at 30 and then that was a constant for you.
1: And then the other things just kind of came together from there. Having a child was definitely important for me. And I, one thing I think that's so wonderful about, your general, I don't, I mean, I know, I guess, my, my, could I be your mom? Am I old mm-hmm. enough? Like right on the edge. I'm, I'm 29. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So young mom, but <laughs> really young mom, <laughs> really young mom, but let's just say generationally. Okay. Like, so mm-hmm. your generation, one thing I love is that you're fully embracing the technology and the, um, all the means that you have to allow yourself maximum flexibility on becoming moms. And I think that's so cool. Like, the fact that you know there's open conversations about freezing your eggs or using surrogates or just being very kind of mercenary about your um personal choices or whatever it is that there's like real ownership of it because then it really is a choice and like the whole thing with choice and all the things when we say i'm pro-choice i am pro-choice all that the, the choice is the that's the pro I'm pro the choice and uh, and I think you all are doing an incredible job of like maximizing that and I think it's super super important and very much like good job, everybody for for because in some ways the technology and all the science that are available now should take some of that pressure off you, right? like 30 isn't like a death knell where you know you have like three years to have a healthy baby or five years. it's really not. It's just kind of like an age. Wow, it's just a number. i I always thought that was so cliche when people said that. I mean, it is both a number and it's the state of your body. But the nice thing is y'all have <laughs> expanded exactly. to expand that time like you're giving yourself like a guy horizon. you know I like men have like an infinite horizon to have children. like oh. women are like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna move this horizon out and and be cool with it and talk to each other about it. and like, I mean, it used to be like, you don't, I don't know, maybe, you. I mean, think of surrogacy and adoption. It's like things that people did when they'd failed. And now I feel like it's things that people do when they're like, I planned this. Right. Did you freeze your eggs? No, no, it wasn't possible. I mean, maybe it was possible for very wealthy <laughs> people in like at Cedar Sinai. I don't know, but no, I didn't freeze my eggs. I think I had the last, I think I had the last possible baby that I could have had. <laughs> wait uh, at what age was it i had her at 39 okay 39 yeah so yeah she was and she's great but gosh it was so anxiety producing because i was like well this is it you know if this doesn't take or hold or turn out okay that's that's it you know it felt very like uh the stakes were very high yeah the stakes were high very high and definitely being pregnant it felt like okay i need to do everything possible right because i don't know how many times this will be i'll never forget i was in my pediatrician's office with my daughter like after i she's about a year old and i was sitting there and this woman walked in and she was like effervescent she just looked beautiful and rested and she she's dressed <laughs> well and she had an infant with her like an infant a new infant a new a newborn basically and i was like god that woman is just she looks incredible what is it and then I was like that woman is 23. <laughs> like she <laughs> she she's just gorgeous, right? She's full of her, life. Full of life and she's made another person. And so that it does, it is different later, I will say. Would would you say that you've had
0: more self-doubt and imposter syndrome about being a mother or about your job or switching careers? Like when have you been really faced with am I good enough? It's okay if the answer is never. I love that
1: for you. <laughs> <laughs> is it, that's not, that's definitely not it. I think when I went in to be, um, I, I had a lot of self-doubt when I was living overseas and working overseas. I was in London for, I was in London officially for three years. And then I was kind of back and forth with BP for about nine months of that. But at the start of that, I felt very discombobulated because I'd essentially immigrated to another country to work for a few years and I knew it would be temporary but it was so different and the expectations around work and living and everything were just so so different and I just was like gosh I really feel like I really had it dialed in um back in the states and now I feel like just topsy-turvy and can I do I got a good job but I was like gosh you know can I do a good job am I able to am I able to perform here can I make this work um that was very uh that was very stressful for sure and um and so and I think that in every project I do there are moments that I'm like you know am I
0: qualified for this
1: qualified to do this but then you think well if not me who and also I'm not performing brain surgery you know like if I get something wrong like it's pretty likely we can correct it you know and so I think it's also being you know realistic about the job that you're performing and um perfection i when i worked in the governor's office i had a a, um, a piece of paper that i had on my desk that nobody could see but it just said the fuck up is out there because that's absolutely true there's no version of this that is perfect um and i don't mean that in like so accept imperfection and all of your imperfection. not that but just like you, you there's no way that anybody can do anything perfectly all the time it's just impossible so you just have to accept it it's just like a huge horrible fuck up is out there and you're gonna you're gonna do it and then when it it's happens just a matter of when you had that on your desk that's your motivation yeah it was yeah it was because it was like because then i and then when it happened you know there were just crazy things that happened that were just terribly wrong and then um but the, then you move on. I don't know. I I, it, I mean, I'll t- I I've told this story at a conference I spoke at last year. There was, when the governor of California leaves the state and comes back, there are legal things that go into play. It's the same way if like a president is unconscious, you have somebody else be president because there's legally required. Anyway, so I got some bad information and tweeted out uh, that Governor Brown had entered the state and was back and was governor again when in fact that was not true he had not entered the state he had not returned and the um and the uh lieutenant governor who is governor when uh the actual governor is out of state their office called and they were like what's going on like is he back are we not governor anymore like what's happening you know because there's a process for this and i just remember being like oh oh no the you know, fuck you up know. is out there <laughs> Very much so. And that, you know, actually is like a constant, that's like a constitutional thing. Like who's actually in charge is an important question. And I just remember being like, I don't know. And I don't, I don't know that anybody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows right now. Is he in the air? Is he on the ground? Is he in another? Co- I don't know. I got bad information. I'm not sure. And you got to tweet it out. So, well, that part of the job was advising everybody when he came back. So they knew who
0: was governor. <laughs> So would you call yourself a pioneer of fake, fake news?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throwing out. Misinformation. I mean, misinformation is such an intense terminology. It sounds so like Cold War. I think yeah. it's often just made up stuff or. It's more uh, of an oopsie. Or, well, or sometimes it's an oopsie, but sometimes it's just lying. And sometimes it's just fiction. <laughs> misinformation is so like, it's so official sounds like there's like the ministry You're like
0: i was just tweeting i
1: didn't know it's not misinformation it's just a little oopsie moment it really was it was an oopsie <laughs> moment, but it had actual you know like it, it's all my dad accidentally it doesn't matter like people make mistakes in jobs and then and then you but if you have a high enough level job that mistake will have constitutional ramifications <laughs> <laughs> so anyway.
0: did that build up your
1: confidence in a way what i have at this point in my career is i feel very um i feel very assured that i have good advice to give and that i have a lot of experience to back up my advice and that um uh but what i had to learn was that just because you offer advice certainly does not mean it's going to get taken and you have to also be cool with that and that for me i think would is much more my struggle personally I tend to feel kind of hurt if people don't take my advice and that's a bad place to be in. And it's something I've noticed is a real distinction between male colleagues and, and myself is that if somebody doesn't take their advice for the most part, it feels kind of like, okay, well, you know, I put it on the table. It didn't get taken. And for me, I still very much, I'm like, Oh God, what was wrong with the advice? Why didn't they take it? Why, you know, it feels more intense. So I, um, so so that is still a dynamic. But I think that's different than imposter syndrome. I think that's just internalizing. Yeah, internalizing. And then also getting past the need for constant approval, which I think is very much a journey to go on with the you know. affirmation generation. We
0: love words of affirmation at work and everywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: I I do too. It's not, I I don't even think it's a generational thing. I think it's just like people want to know they're doing good, but it's unreasonable to expect that that's going to be the constant input because that's, that would would require somebody whose only job was to just positively affirm everyone else. Like people are (laughs) eating lunch and like, you know, paying invoices and stuff. Like there's only so many hours in the day, but I, for myself still to this day, working past needing lots of positive affirmation is I think still part of that that dynamic I think you're trying to dig into, which is how do you get past barriers and really self-optimize. Um, but there is no finish line around insecurity. Um, I think that's just there and understanding that experiencing insecurity is part of doing jobs well and probably even leads to better work outcomes. Um, I'm less inclined to give personal advice, like if you're feeling insecure in your marriage or you're feeling insecure as a parent. I I don't know. That's a different thing. Um, I definitely experience those, but the way I deal with them is very different than how I would come to it professionally.
0: Well, right now, if you scroll through LinkedIn, it's all about layoffs. So do you have any insight for people that are experiencing job loss right now? It's a really tough situation to be in, especially when every tech company decided at the same time to do the same thing. And I totally. want to know if you've experienced a layoff before.
1: Oh, for sure. A couple of times I've been let go, like fired. I've been laid off as part of layoffs. Um, both of those things were very hard and and felt very personal and really shook me up, you know, and I don't think there's any amount of uh, prior experience that can make that cool um or that can protect you from that yeah yeah there, there really isn't i mean just circumstances will change and finances will change it's scary and it, it is also cyclical i mean you know having watched this now a couple of times there were you know huge downturns after the first dot-com boom and you know which should tell you how long ago that was because i called it the dot-com boom um and And now you're seeing these corrections by tech companies uh, or companies that are, you know, Because we just aren't as flush with cash, I guess, as we were during the pandemic. You know, it's important to understand economics. I think if you can do yourself one favor, it's like see it in the larger context, understand that things always wax and wane, and then plan appropriately. I mean, after going through layoffs, like that's when I really started getting serious about just trying to save enough money so that it didn't have a devastating impact. Right? I need to have six thousand dollars so I can spend two months finding my next job, and that's you know because you have to pay rent, and so yeah it's sobering but you have to kind of it since it's happened you know lean into whatever you can glean from it and um and and also prepare for the next time because i don't think there's any time in your career that you're insulated from it you know right Um,
0: or industry really it's kind of everywhere
1: if you want to go into like bureaucracies there are you know government positions that are very hard to eliminate i know from (laughs) being in government but that's a very specific lifestyle choice and trend it's hard it's very hard there's no getting around it um but it's also temporary because people tend to go and find jobs again isn't
0: everything temporary
1: i mean in the long run we're all dead so there's that
0: thank you so much for that inspiration
1: (laughs) i remember I, i had an economics professor who who that was like one of her leading things about long-term economic theory. She's like, and then there's the inevitability of death. (laughs) You're like, okay, thanks. But what should we do now?
0: (laughs) Well, what are some things that you do now to, I'm sure you have some days that are harder than others. Like how do you get out of bed every day? It's not the
1: easiest thing. No. Um, so what do I do for myself now? Well, um, a number of things. So now in life, I'm starting to experience the confluence of having both a young child and an aging set of parents, multiple, including Mm -hmm. my mother-in-law. And so I will say that the forties, like mid to late forties do feel like crunch. And so whatever anxieties you're having in your 30s, try to also travel and have a lot of fun and like go out and do all the things because those windows do change. There's a reason why older people seem boring. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a reason why people in their 40s and 50s seem boring. They're trying to hold down the fort they're holding down like multiple forts they're like they're like a they're like a, an encampment on the banks of <laughs> Austin in the 17th century they're like we've got there's like there's just a lot you know and so um truly don't rob yourself of enjoying the all of the awesome stuff you can do because look statistically, it's pretty likely you'll settle down in some way or another. Maybe you're um, somebody who's well rested and has lots of money and no children. Maybe you have children and you're exhausted and you're married or whatever, like something pans out. There's people like your life will progress if you're smart, but like you can't, you you can't glean back time when you have lots and lots of responsibilities. And so use the time. I mean, that's so important. Um, I also think like really like try to take challenging jobs and show up for them and do them 100% and don't spend a lot of time like waxing poetic about how you know unjust whatever situation you find yourself in is like the history of humanity is unjust situations that people wouldn't acknowledge so like just try to keep doing because i do think that the main thing is like in the doing you can find real satisfaction and and real self-satisfaction not just satisfaction with like how you made things happen for other people but you're like i'm resilient you know i'm i'm smart i can find my way through this um and and then just know that like for the most part I think really high level work and just high level life is a bit uncomfortable. You know, I I think it's just like very, it can feel very, uh, a lot and, and it really is. But again, not in Berlin in 1939. And that's very important to remember because a lot of people are waking up and getting out of bed and have no options. And so as long as you have options, like go out and do them. Because there's no uh I think that there's nothing kind of more amazing than that, you know it's, like
0: it's amazing because I think that our generations really progress so much in having these open mental health conversations. but a lot of times my conversations with my therapists and my conversations with friends that sometimes you reach a point of anxiety and depression where the best advice someone can tell you is just get up and do something. Get up, take a shower and leave the apartment. So it's so funny that we've reverted back to the same things that our parents would say to us that we're like, you're not validating my feelings. You're not acknowledging me, but I've, I've struggled with mental health for years, but sometimes the best advice I've ever gotten was Dinah, just get up. You have a good life. And then I'm like, okay, sobbing.
1: Yes, for sure. Like, I mean, yeah, that's, I think that you all have progressed mental health stuff like in such an important way but yeah again there's reason there are reasons that the that advice and that kind of directive have existed and it's not just because people were like i don't care about your mother yeah it's just there is like a you know a body in motion tends to stay in motion a body at rest tends to stay at rest that's physics so i think there's you know there are pieces of advice and perspective that come back to things that are that um fundamental that are meaningful And also, nothing is going to change while you're at home, lying in bed. Nothing is going to change. And that is not how change happens. It happens through activity. And so that's another thing, too, is that depression is a hard one because you get in that stasis and it's just like, shit, how am I going to get myself out of this? And oddly, the answer is just by literally getting myself out of this. Physically. yeah. Yeah. And... and it's even if you
0: take it back like hundreds of years ago whenever somebody would be uh diagnosed with a terminal illness they would just prescribe
1: travel. <laughs> They'd be like just go on a journey. Yes. That's right. That's so insightful. You're right. People were always sent off to like take, take the waters. Yes, take the waters. <laughs> I remember one of the I, I I remember I had a bad breakup many years ago uh and a friend of mine came over and she was like we're going on a hike and I just was like, I can barely walk. I'm so sad about my sad breakup and my sad situation, you know, like, shoot. And she was like, yeah, okay, cool. But we're just going to do all of that while hiking. And it took me on a 14-mile hike. And I remember just being so much better at the conclusion of the hike. I mean, it didn't resolve the sad feelings, but I definitely was like, okay, like, I'm ready to... At least get up tomorrow and get going. And I mean, you know, again, like these things will keep you static all the time. Right. Oh, can I tell doom you something? Scrolling. Doom scrolling. Oh, doom scrolling. I also started crocheting, not gonna lie. I needed something to do with my hands that was not the phone. I found that anytime I sat down I that it was just on the phone. And so I'm like, all right, I don't know how to crochet and it should be simple because people have been doing it. It's not, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> to make things but i just think that i just kind of at some point just conceded like i'm not i'm not going to sit down and write a novel when i'm not on the phone i'm going to sit down and make poorly a sweater canceled. exactly or or a sock let's be realistic just a strip of crochet that could be a spot, <laughs> Actually, that to me has been really interesting in the last year because like i i definitely i was like huh why are people doing all these handicrafts And i'm like oh because You know, and I think that my mental health is also definitely improved from having something that's not the phone to do when, you know, the screen experience. Yeah, I don't don't need that. You know, when you find yourself on the phone while also watching Netflix, you're like, something has to give here.
0: (laughs) And then (laughs) you're like, I can't get into any show. It's like, yeah,
1: because you didn't (laughs) see it. In i'm watching room. love is blind i'm watching love is blind as a reminder actually that i don't ever want to date but you know, i have a lot of admiration for people's really cool kind of i especially love when you watch
0: shows that i recommend to you six months after they're already out yeah well
1: but i mean yes because i don't want to talk to anybody about them except <laughs> i respect that i mean i'm like okay diana what's up next you're like I'll, well, i'll let you know what next show to watch in six months <laughs> Don't don't tell me who, who ends up together on Love Is Blind. It's very important. The best part is that I've forgotten
0: personally. <laughs> so, I do. They've. I can just tell you one spoiler. They're all TikTok stars now. Are they all of them? One of them teaches Pilates
1: every day on TikTok. That's not the goal of the show, though, right? The goal (laughs) of the show is love, but they're like, but as a Mm -hmm. secondary byproduct, there's TikTok stardom. Well,
0: there was also with Love Love is Blind. Clearly, I think maybe one couple made it, but the lesson is that love is not blind. We learned that the hard way with that show, with three seasons now. So we can just stop producing this show.
1: Is love is love blind? No, it is not blind.
0: It's not. We answered the question. Nick Lachey. Can just move on to his next thing.
1: Oh my gosh. It's a cool concept,
0: though. I love that. You know, in in an ideal world where people are wired to be superficial,
1: but also just like there's also biology, you know, and there's a reason why some people you get around and you're like, we should make babies. And other people (laughs) around and you're like, we should be friends. And part of that chemical, (laughs) you can only get that. You know what they should do? They should do love is blind, but also here's a shirt that you can smell. They should start it with smelling shirts and take it from there. Like, I love I'll, I'll pitch it. I'll let them know. I'll let them know.
0: Idea is forward. Well, I feel like you've covered the full and vast expanse of just humanity at this point that I'm wondering, what's one thing that you haven't touched on is just friendships and how friendships evolve. And tell me your take on making friends as yeah. somebody that's 41 again. I can't accept what you are. Forty eight.
1: I'm going to be 48 in like two days okay Okay. that means you're 47 47 okay so when I turned 45 uh I think it was 45 I um invited my oldest and closest friends well I invited my closest friends maybe not oldest up to Sonoma and we all like rented a house and hung out for a couple of days and it was great and I remember everyone went around and was talking about how they you know know you yeah and my very good friend, Tina, sitting next to me, who I've known since you know my mid 20s, like we get around the whole circle. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, my God, I'm your newest friend, like at 20 years. Right. So I think that there. So what that tells me is two things, which is, first of all, I've made a couple of dear friends since then that I would count as part of that circle. But I would count the number of friends I have dear friends, you know, at under certainly under 15 people and probably right around 10, 12. That's pretty good. I mean, it is, but that's like a lifetime of friendships, right? So, those are people. So, when she's saying, I'm your newest friend, that means that she's like looking at people who have been close, I've been close with for 25, 30 years, et cetera. Um, And so, I think it's just like, It's like anything. It's like meeting a a spouse or a partner or anything. You know, like there's there's lots of people you kind of. I try to use my hands a lot with my daughter to explain human relationships because it's (laughs) here if you have a thing. But you know, you're going along. This is you. You're going along through life. There's lots of people you're passing by, or maybe there's people that you have like a connection with here. You've one thing or you've, but like you're not going to meet. You're going to meet maybe just very few of this right in your Mm -hmm. life. When you find it, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, invest in the friendships you've got always like i'm talking about cards letters calls visits remembering spouses names birthdays you have to do it because there is nothing like a close friend it's is there general. a chapter of life where you don't
0: remember the names of the people your best friends are married to i mean
1: when they meet them oh that's fair <laughs> I mean, now, yes, because, like, I know everybody's name, but, like, I'm talking about my dear friends when they, you know, meet people and start getting serious and just knowing that that's a thing happening for them and really treasuring that. One of my dearest friends, Michael, you know, was kind of, uh, he was in a long-term relationship, but he was always kind of perpetually single-ish, and then he met Fred, and, like... I like, I need to know it's Fred Cassidy, who is Michael Fitzgerald's partner. And I knew that like from the time they started, cause they Michael- sound so regal. So they were so That's- serious so fast. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Fred's in. And so um, I think that really like, yeah that so my philosophy on friendship is that it's like real friendship real connectivity is rare it gets rarer with time i truly think that like i meet fewer and fewer people as i get older um that i feel that same level of like simpatica with but when i oh my gosh when i meet it i'm just like ah! Hills are alive so friendships are the way you continue to sort of fall in love I think after you find your partner because like new friendships can have that same intoxicating wonderful feeling excitement I totally agree although I also count you amongst people I've met that I I think like wow like this was such a great person to meet in the course of my life but yeah I've made I've made I've made a couple of close friends in the last decade that are Definitely like keepers forever. And then I have to be the person they want to keep too. You are. I'm telling yep. you now. I don't Welcome. think uh
0: phasing out listeners need to hear about <laughs> me gushing over you, but so I think this not is Diana. so
1: sorry. <laughs> out, Diana. Don't put me in a corner. Nobody will, puts Elizabeth on a phase I will out.
0: Never phase you
1: out. Um,
0: if anything, I just have a feeling you'll be a repeat guest. <laughs>
1: I just want to be there, you know, when you finally get married, when you're 31. Oh, I'm just, kidding. I'm just
0: <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> You mean when, yeah, well, we'll see about that. Let's, let's talk about more the growth of the podcast. That's, that's what you should hope for 31. That's that. the goal.
1: Let's,
0: cause you're supposed to make smart goals. I don't remember what it stands for, but I know the A's for actionable. So I'm going to tell you now that the risotto I'm making tonight is not conducive to me meeting
1: people out in the wild because I'll be at home. So, <laughs> Just you never know though. Every time I see you in New York, you're like, I'm here, but then I have three other things I'm going to do later. So I <laughs> that you're in a great place. You're in a great moment in your life. Enjoy it. Don't worry too much. Other things will happen. What can you do? You can only control so much, you know, make a risotto. Exactly. Make the risotto. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining me. This
0: was so wonderful. Um, where can people follow you? Do you have a platform that people can reach out to you with questions about your life?
1: About my life on Twitter at E Ashford. That's it. I'm there sorry. You go. That- I'm a Twitter person uh, or eashford.com if you want to hire me to do stuff, but no, eashford at Twitter is just like, that's where I'm at. I'm not Uh, great at Twitter, but I'm enthusiastic about it. That's that's beautiful. That's
0: uh, for anybody interviewing for jobs, just say I'm not great at it, but I'm enthusiastic about it. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Uh So. Follow Elizabeth on Twitter at E Ashford. And if you have any feedback or questions, make sure you follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at Phasing Out Podcast. Thank you so much again.
1: You are welcome, my dear. Thank you.